Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, my name is uh, Danny Thorley, president of the Russia Sea Business Group. We're continuing with our series of business conversation interviews with executives that we want to talk with uh, around Europe and in Russia. I'm very pleased today to be speaking with Katya Gorokhova, who is the managing director of Kelly Services Russia and Poland. Um, Katya, we've known each other a long time and uh, that would be at least a, a decade. So I know something about you and I know a lot about your company, but could you tell us, you know, where did you come from? How did you arrive where you are? And then secondly, what do Kelly Services do? Thanks, Danny. It's uh, it's nowadays also Poland and Hungary. I would say like it's uh, Central Eastern Europe. And also I have some stretched responsibilities for RPO, for EMEA and for permanent recruitment. So stretching roles, it's a new trend, I would say, in Kelly services. So we are all a little bit stretched, not like directly in the region, but also to some products which we oversee. And uh, some of us have stretched roles. So I think it's probably interesting for you to, to hear. And uh, while well, talking about me, I have a technical background. I graduated from the State Technical University of St. Petersburg. I have a major in mechanical physics. So, and uh, it's a very long journey to Kelly Services through seven years with Unilever in a sales role, in a senior sales roles, and then, you know, to the HR industry. So I'm more than 20 years with Kelly working, uh, starting in St. Petersburg, moving to Sweden as a country manager and then moving to Russia and like coming as a regional manager for Kelly services. But Kelly is like my, let's say my motherland, I would say in terms of uh, job tenure, clearly. So Kelly services uh, is a um, staffing uh, company, but actually I wouldn't say just staffing because we do provide HR solutions with outsourcing, temporary staffing, permanent recruitment, recruitment process outsourcing, HR consulting. So it's a US-based company, uh, organized, one of the pioneers of the temporary staffing industry organized in 1946. And uh, we still like in the top like five, ten agencies in the world. In Russia, we are one of the top three and uh, clearly probably number two right now and clearly keeping our leadership for many, many years. And uh, that's in a couple of words, you know, working with a lot of different industries, customers providing HR solutions to our customers. Thanks very much, Katya. And I'm very interested there with your uh own personal education in St. Petersburg. As you know, my doctorate is in Soviet political economy, so we have different educational backgrounds, but we end up here talking together. Good. <laughs> I, I had forgotten your Unilever period as well, so that's interesting. Obviously, you've got consumer product experience and so forth. Great. Um, just as a starting question, Katya, you know, <laughs> We've had a everybody's had a difficult, uh, unusual year, 2020, the COVID year. Maybe 2021 for parts of Europe will be, you know, another partial COVID year. And given your geographical responsibility, I think my question would be, how uh, are you seeing the business globally, but then more in Europe and then more in your countries in Central Europe? And then we'll talk about Russia later. 
Probably people just get used to COVID. They need people. They need people permanent, temporary. They need people in any way to accomplish their tasks. And uh, that's why our industry found their way and actually started to grow back again. So that's in two words. And I think it's across the globe. So I think it's across the globe and it's for EMEA and it's for US, it's for Asia and it's for Russia, clearly. I was probably going to do this later, but I'll jump in now because we're very free flow on this. I'm sitting in Vienna. The Czech Republic has the highest level of fatalities uh, per population of any place in the world, which is very frightening. So um, my detailed question is then, you know, Russia is something else. And we'll talk about that in a moment. Loose lockdown. Are you seeing the, the mood and the business environment in Central Europe not so strong or is it still buoyant? Well, I think uh, I think the mood is generally quite positive. And that's I think uh, I, I can speak more about Poland and Hungary and uh, the production is working. Uh, people are needed, you know, also in the shared service centers because these countries, they focus a lot on the global shared service centers and they outsource for the rest of EMEA for a lot of solutions and services uh, from these countries. And they're quite well adjusted to work from home, uh, the internet systems working fine. So they found their ways both in production where they need a physical presence, but also within, you know, digital space when people work from home. So I would say the spirit is rather good. And there is uh, a lot of big companies who do have their outsourcing sites in these countries and they can't afford to stop it. You know, they need to produce for the rest of EMEA or they need to, to do services for the rest of EMEA or out of these countries. So I would say the spirit is fine. Plus, it's a lot of younger people working in this in industries for multinational who are probably more resilient to COVID mm -hmm. generally. Thanks, Kat. You know, it's fair view because generally, as you know, you know, we're looking at Central Europe a lot as well as Russia and the business, you know, the business is going well or very well. Uh, and, I, you know, you've answered the question. I just thought, what was the mood? So that's uh, interesting indeed. Anyway, that's good introduction. Thank you. But now we come to the big baby, uh, Russia and CIS as well. And um, we've talked a lot about it together and in the webinars we do together with you. But, you know, one trend, of course, is that Russia has not got such severe lockdowns really since last summer. There's a different dynamic. So my question is, let's kick off on Russia. What are the, the big trends you're seeing in the market with your customers in Russia? Well, um, the customers, especially the big customers, of course, they are active. Uh, they came back in the middle of summer for the production and there is a lot of delayed uh, demand, I would say, for production, for services, for, for goods, but also for people. So because no one really was hiring for several months or for half a year, now suddenly everybody realized that the business is growing and they need people to support this business. So that's why actually the demand went quite high you know, with a quite an extreme in one or two months. So we felt it in August, September of last year. Both first it started with blue color and basic professions because it probably didn't stop. They needed careers and uh, professions like that during the COVID 
because uh, the logistics was very active, the delivery was very active, but also the factories, when it was allowed to open up the factories, they needed people. And, uh, and then it started, uh, it came later with a professional specialist because there was also some turnover, some people left and they needed replacement. They were not replaced for some time, but suddenly everybody realized they can't do further without people. So from this point of view, I would say the Russian market is quite active and maybe smaller businesses suffered uh, more serious um, and they, they are not capable to come back so fast, but the bigger business and the medium-sized business clearly was quite resilient. Just, uh, yeah, we can jump around a lot now and I will do with you. Um, you mentioned blue collar, white collar, you know, I think a year ago there was a deep concern globally and in Russia. Oh, my God, most of our blue collar workers are working on infrastructure, roads and in factories. And most of our white collar are working at home, you know, in it with their coffee, watching Netflix and enjoying themselves. Um, did did. It, I don't hear about that much these days. And I think, am I correct in thinking that companies have resolved that or has it not become such an issue and business goes on? White collar, blue collar? You mean the productivity and the efficiency or what? Yeah, no. Um, what's are the, Do the blue collar people dislike the white collar people? Ah, from because, this. Because they have a very nice, easy job and they're comfortable at home and the blue collar people do all the work. Is there that resentment and therefore demand for better treatment blue collar or, or is that all wrong? Well, honestly, I, I might have my personal opinion. I don't have a killer opinion on that. Personally, I think it was probably the case, especially in the heart of COVID when the couriers mm -hmm. were bringing their own you know, parcels to you and you were like coming safely to, to, to pick them up. They clearly hated you at this moment, you know, and uh, that's my personal observation. I think it's probably not the case anymore after the unlock was happening and people got used to that. So, uh, well, plus a lot of, you know, blue colors actually got some welfare at certain points from the government, especially in the Moscow area. It was a good job done by the Moscow government. So a lot of people got some welfare to support. Mm -hmm. okay. So it was not so bad. Mm -hmm. right. No, thank you, Katya. It was an open question. You know, I didn't really have the answer. I just wanted to know what you felt. I'll, I'll keep on with the blue collar worker and something you know about a lot. Um, I've heard stories and we did a survey question, you know, with the COVID and migration, Central Asia, the Caucasus, that, you know, those people had gone back home. There were fewer migrants, half a million, one million, two million fewer. So the supply of blue collar was less. And then when, when the demand picked up or infrastructure carried on, there was a shortage. Um, we got about a third of our clients who agree with that. But equally, another third say, no, we've not seen much. So again, it's a sort of a debatable question. But I think you've got your finger on the pulse on this one. Um, what's been happening with blue collar in the last year and, and where are we now and and migration? Well, uh, I, 
for us as an agency to find the blue collar workers is a big challenge right now. So I would say after this breakout for COVID, uh, especially those companies who dismissed people, they couldn't get them back because people are uh, either getting some support from the government or found some other jobs and were very offended and didn't want to come back to this like medium sort of salaries not really high salaries, so they didn't want to come back to, to work for these customers. So, and generally, due to, like you said correctly, due to um, lack of supply of migrants to the country, and we estimate up to 6 million migrants went away, and uh, there were more jobs available on the constructions for the Russian citizens. And if they needed the job, they could go and work for their government construction, which was working actually, instead of migrants. And that's dragged, you know, some of their supply from our customers as well. Because that's one reason. The second reason, a lot of workers, they got the government support. Maybe it was like 12, 15,000 rubles a month, 20 for Moscow, but still it was something. So what they did, they got the government support plus some work illegal for some illegal agencies or some some illegal companies where they could get another 20, you know? And that's 40 was sort of okay for them not to think about another job for quite a lower salary in the regions. So generally, um, the salaries for blue colors went very much up and the most smart of our clients, they just indecised by 15, 20% the salaries not 5%, not 10%, 15%, 20%. And that's very correct because it's still not enough of supply and also people are not ready to, uh, to migrate. They are not ready to come from one place to another because they're afraid of COVID, they're afraid of, you know, travel. They would rather keep in their own, the work in their own village where they can walk or take a bus to that than moving to some other region out of their family having some fear for COVID as well. So that's why all, all in all, it's a huge challenge with their blue collar um, workers. And interesting, I was talking to my colleagues yesterday in the mayor, it's not only in Russia, it's actually, I talked to people from France and Portugal, they confirmed the same fact. And uh, that it's where everybody's thinking, well, it's not enough of a job. You know, people should be happy to get a job, but actually, no, we can't find the candidates. Mm -hmm. And the, the reasons are probably quite similar to ours. Mm -hmm. And the government support is also the major reason because people used to do nothing, like enjoying Netflix, sitting at home, getting some minimum wage, but still it was enough to feed them. Absolutely, absolutely. I want to uh, ask, you touched it a little bit, the, <clears throat> you know, the, the power of Moscow and the strength of Moscow and money and the attraction and you've already said, you know, people don't want to move much. Um, I can well understand people don't want to leave Moscow to go anywhere. That's historically true. Um, but what you say about people moving in general is uh, very interesting. Are we, even with blue collar rising, and I agree with you, 15, 20%, even with that trend, are there still regional variations? What I'm thinking of, uh, Katya, you know, I mentioned to you, one of my friends said, um, a friend of his had a factory job in Voronezh at 45, 50,000 rubles. He moved to Moscow, become a delivery boy, 
and he got 75, 80,000, just as a, a sample story. Is that big discrepancy in Moscow and everywhere else and St. Petersburg? Is Moscow still the, the big driver for salaries? Well, um, in terms of production, it's difficult to compare because we don't really have a production in Moscow. It's like very seldom. Mm -hmm. So Moscow is rather than this uh, new role, which is in between of blue color and white color, which is Korea, for example, mm -hmm. or someone's working in uh, La Moda or Wildberries. This is like a warehousing person, but also like an office person. So this is something in between. <clears throat> it's not uh, comparable directly, you know, with the blue colors in the regions, because mm -hmm. factories are in the regions. So from this point of view, Moscow is paying generally better, but not always, because if you look at even in some um, e-commerce stores, like the brands I called, they claim they pay 50, 60,000 rubles, but they don't. Mm -hmm. Actually, they, they cheat quite a lot, and I, I'm sorry, I have some examples with younger people who were cheated like that. So uh, I think probably with the self-employed people who are working for Yandex or delivery, they can potentially work 75,000, but they really work not 12 hours, they probably work 16 hours. So yeah. Moscow pays more, but actually demands much more. So I think uh, in the factories, in the regions, people work more reasonable shifts with more reasonable hours. Right. No, thank you so much, Katya. That was going to be a follow-up question, you know, the ruble sums. And for our listeners, I'll put it into context. Um, you know, the official Rostat number, the average national manufacturing wage is about 47,000 rubles. That's the, the national average, you know, and that would include, you know, the, the weakest regional ones as well. But like you say, you know, the claim of 55 to 65 in Moscow, but to get seven, I'm just repeating what you said because it's important, you know, to get 70,000 in logistics would mean a lot of work indeed. And uh, I don't disagree. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, we've talked a good bit there about blue column. It's uh, very important. Oh, uh, a follow-up question just came to me. Do you? Th I think it's an obvious question, but I want your answer. With you know the change now and the the loosening and global loosening, getting back to normal. You said people are reluctant to travel, but in four, six months' time, nine months. Do you think a lot of the migration will be back and will getting back a little to not normality, but there'll be more migrants and these divergences will be less? So I'm asking you what you think for nine months out. Well, this is my personal opinion. I think it's very connected to vaccination and looking at Israel, who just, you know, just canceled the mask regime from Monday because 74% of Israel is vaccinated. I think it's the way to go because when you are vaccinated, you are not afraid mm -hmm. to get the COVID and not to be at home when you are sick. Mm -hmm. so, uh, so, as Russia is quite slow with vaccination, I think it might take some longer time maybe six months. It depends on the government which job they will do to push people to vaccinate. Yeah. Uh, and I think we are not doing good job so far. No, you're right, Katya. I, you know, um, the mood in Russia is pretty good socially and out and about on the streets and everything. And as you say, business wise, and uh, you would, 
and you know Sputnik's got a good reputation it's its reputation has improved a lot the Financial Times said it's a very good vaccine so there we are but you're absolutely right you know the number of people nationally vaccinated are is you know six seven percent um, but of course we have low levels around uh, Europe as well uh, too thanks um, Thanks for that question. The move now to white colour, maybe, and managerial and so forth, and office and, um, you know, mid, mid and low levels in offices. Um, we've talked about the blue collar. What, uh, what's the dynamics in the uh, white collar and mid management? Well, it's not as bad as in blue color, and um, because just the parent pyramid is is getting smaller towards the top, but still, um, I, I think it, it's it's moving quite active right now because there was certain turnover natural, there was certain like delayed demand, which suddenly everyone needs people whom they didn't need for six months or nine months. So suddenly everyone wants to hire. My point is, and my question is, is it going to be forever or is it going to be end in six months when the market will stabilize a little bit? My feeling, uh, it will be stabilized yeah. you know, by the end of the year. But right now everyone is crazy looking for people um, on all different professions. And uh, recruiter is uh, probably one of the most demanded profession by uh, <laughs> each company. True, because everyone needs a recruiter who will hire people for them. Very true. I agree with you, Katja. I think you know we it's boom booming now, so to say. And I share your view. I think in six months it will inevitably normalize. And I certainly think you know in 2022 and beyond for sure. Um, just as a footnote, you know, I think globally and in Russia, business will pick up strongly. There's going to be a bounce back vaccine. The sun is shining through my window. The weather will get better. People outside Russia will get onto terraces more and that. Um, I think the global stock markets and the Russian one and the price of oil, although the ruble is detached from oil, still having a good oil price is not a problem for Russia. So I do think uh, 21 all through the summer and beyond will be good. I think it will drift through to 22. And then after spring, summer of 22, you know, we might get some more normalization, which would affect, of course, the uh, the HR sector as well. Um, one thought I have of, you know, what we're hearing a lot and you're talking about, about those dynamics is moving digitalization, e-commerce. You mentioned La Moda, Wildberries and so on. Um, what trends are you seeing for, you know, across the board, e-commerce, logistical support as well, but really mid-level, high-level technical skills for IT companies, for logistics companies, for consumer products? Um, what's the dynamic there in the demand and also for salaries? Well, I think the world is getting much more digital much faster there was certain acceleration with COVID to become digital and we all experienced that through you know purchasing um, online and you know getting our parcels online i gave an example with Azon. so uh this is for everyone so and uh, as i'm not in the industry where e-commerce is sort of separate uh 
just you know my people are also digitalized because all the interviews are online right now on video via teams or skype or whatever whatsapp and the thing is that uh, it it really changes our business model a lot because we we don't need to be in the office as much we can do a lot of and that's comfortable for everyone for our recruiters it's comfortable for um, for our applicants for our candidates it's probably comfortable for customers on certain stages and uh, that's the digital um, they change a lot of business models and i think those companies who have a good digital infrastructure, good systems, ERP systems, or certain systems which allow it to be online, not just on the paper, so it's centrally managed by the system. These companies will win out because if you don't, if you are not prepared, if your internet connections is bad, if you're not in the system, if you're not in the cloud, if you don't have central systems, if you don't keep your eyes on these systems, which allow you to follow up and track the performance of your people, then you're in trouble. So from this point of view, it's a huge acceleration. And um, luckily we did, uh, actually last year we put an um, investment for the new global EMEA system in Russia and during COVID we managed to implement it. It was not easy, but we did. Mm -hmm. wow. And during sitting at home, during all these lockdowns, we just, we replaced our systems. Right, right. Just on the, you know, that demand there that you talked about, um, you know, not necessarily from Kelly services, but what you know about the industry generally and uh, the demand for people. Um, I've heard, I'll give you some framework, I've heard that, you know, the premium for good digital people in terms of salary, you know, I've heard numbers 5 to 15%, which seems reasonable, you know, fingertip, but recently a couple of, only a couple, so it's not a sample, of executives said, actually, Danny, the premium we would pay would be much higher. You know, um, they were consumer product companies who were looking to do more e-commerce. E-commerce only represented for them 8-10% of the business, but it's rising, so it's important. And they said, you know, we would pay a premium 30% plus plus. So just from your own knowledge of market, um, what do you think is the pressures there? It's really difficult to make a uniform approach for that. Because I would say what companies need, uh, are in demand on this sort of like digital strategic marketing specialists who are called product managers or product digitalized managers who know and who can create the new concepts of usage, which is very important for IT companies, the one who can bring some innovation of changing habits or catching up the new habits and trying to develop on that. That's especially with the new applications, etc. I think these specialists are in huge demand and they will be forever because it will be progressing and changing every year. There will be new and new and new things created. And these people are very expensive and that might be young or old. It doesn't matter because this is like a unique um, skills. Generally for digital people, I think it will be not costing so much higher soon because everyone will be digital. So because even all the people, they are digital right now. So we are all digital. 
because we don't have any other choice and that's uh, we will be equalized on that. But the one who innovates the new habits, uh, well, take an example of Yandex, they create all the time the new services, the new roles, the new ideas, the new habits for us and they push these habits on us. And there are some people behind that who create that. Absolutely, absolutely. Thanks, Hatia. I want to come back, um, you know, because we certainly agree with each other. You know, the, the, the business uh, numbers and excitement levels in Russia, you've talked about the, the demand there. Uh, you've heard me say, obvious, I, you can confirm, I trust, overall voluntary turnover is down globally. People are still cautious and so forth. But Central Europe and Russia, business is reasonable or good or better. So there is demand for people. And I'm saying to our managing directors uh, for the region, you know, your global headquarters in Europe or America or Japan may think, aha, people are desperate for their jobs, that we can do anything we want with them. And of course, for this region, that's if it's true for any region, it's certainly not true for ours. And talent can move. So I think, you know, the top 10, 20, 35 percent of people can leave and find because you're saying the demand uh, is there. I just want you to reconfirm on that. And then po do, would that mean that poaching, as usual, is prevalent? And also, you know, what I, I know your view on counter offers because we've spoken about it before. So. What's the churn level is that, you know, talent can move, they're in demand, uh, poaching and counter offers and anything else on that? Uh, well, uh, that's absolutely true that, you know, good people have a lot of offers right now, so they're being headhunted. Uh, so I think our salaries will grow despite we already get some merit increases. I think we will make a lot of counter offers and our customers should be prepared for that. And uh, my view is that uh, on the counter offers that, well, if the specialist brings value to the business for another six months or one year, I would rather make a counter offer and keep this person for another six months or, or a year instead of being offended that my culture was not really supported. I would look selfishly on that, thinking if I can get this per person temporarily for another more year and he or she can make me more money for that, I would rather retain. I also, my position for boomerangs is positive, so I always get boomerangs. And I think if people, they maybe started, let's say, my uh, the career at Kelly and they didn't see anything else, and then after 10 years they left finally on for the customer working, and they realized that this culture is actually probably was better for them and they want to come back, I'm always quite happy because people should be able to compare and make a solid decision to come back. So that's my view on that. And if it's a talent, I would always get that. So without getting any bad feelings for that. Thank you, Katya. Very good to avoid the bad feelings. I liked your answer on the counter offer as well, because, you know, there are different views. But I, I think your yours is very realistic and pragmatic. If we can get a good person for another six, 12 months, let's keep them. Yeah, um, I've not heard it put so bluntly, but I think you're uh, absolutely correct. You know, no illusions. You make the counter offer maybe in six, nine, 12, 15 months. They do go anyway. 
but at least you've had the, the good service uh, uh, from them. Uh, very good, thank you. On a uh, more general theme, uh, and again, this is more your, your personal knowledge of the market and everything that's going on. We've got a big demand for uh, people. We've got some migration issues, but globally, you know, you talked about young people. Globally, there's a brain drain going on from all parts of the world. You know, it's not a Russian problem. It's a global problem. And, you know, a lot of young people and talented people want to go and work in Germany or Switzerland or Britain or America, to, to, to put it bluntly. Is, is that a, a pressure in the market that you're seeing a lot or is it manageable and it's just part of life? I think with the digitalization, this pressure will be going less because if you take an IT world and uh, like we work uh, with some IT communities for perm consultants across of EMEA. So we can place the Russian programmer working for Swiss company without relocating Switzerland, or we can put a Russian consultant or Polish consultant in IT to work for you know, France, so if they speak French, and there is no need to move. And the salaries is still much higher than the local one, but you pay your local course and you keep, you know, relationship with your friends on your own language. So I think with digitalization, as there is no demand to be in the office, is getting less pressure. Mm -hmm. And uh, from this point of view, but and they are, but they are paid better than in the local market, clearly. So we have some IT consultants. We do have a big IT practice at Kelly Services, and we do outsource a lot of uh, solutions with a good salaries, I would say, to US. Why not? And the consultants, they stay in Russia, maybe somewhere in Novosibirsk or Omsk. Mm -hmm. Exactly, exactly. I think I've got uh, two closing questions, Katya. One is, and then ask anything you want to say about anything. Um, the you, you mentioned culture. Uh, you know Western companies with your experience as well. Um, there tends to be a cliche that, you know, Western companies are more reliable, more stable. Um, we've had a crisis period, and would the Russian staff generally be better off in a Western company with that environment? Um, Russian companies are more volatile. In the good times, they're good. Question, in the bad times, are they not so good? Is that a trend that's a real one, or is it over-exaggerated, or, or what, in your opinion? Well, uh, we did some surveys before, I would say, the COVID crisis. And uh, whenever we did the survey, the candidates, at least our candidates, Kelly candidates, they've been always voting for international company. Not necessarily Western, but international with a good yeah. brand name and reputation. I think it's probably... Um, and then the second one was a Russian branded company with a strong Russian brand name. And then all the other companies. So I think for them, even after the crisis, it's probably even stronger because they experienced a lot of uh, unfair dismissals during the COVID crisis. And right now they know that companies who, you know, pay salaries fairly, who pay legally salaries and not in the envelope, and they they really try to 
to do their best. They try to retain or if they dismiss people with some packagers and things like this. So I would say it's even probably getting stronger right now. The, West, the international brand first and then the Russian strong brand second, I would say. Right, thanks. And obviously we know the Russian branded companies and uh, of course there are many and a growing number of good ones, but I I take the point uh, and agree with you. My closing off question, but then for any wrap up regards expatriates. And again, you know, it's more your personal fingertip and experience. And, you know, globally, I'm hearing uh, Dubai, pick any place in the world. Well, the expatriate model was always under some pressure with localization historically. But now with borders closed, expatriates, you know, in their home country, managing remotely, like you say. So in some ways, it might not be an issue. You could even have, you know, your expatriates living abroad, managing the company. Could you? Question mark. But my question is the trend with expatriates are we in Russia? Are we seeing um, more localization? more Russian staff getting the CFO managing director's position because of COVID? And do you think that will be the case? So I think the first question is, what trend do you personally see globally in Central Europe and Russia on expats? Anything? I think for the Western life and for American life, I think it's probably going to be less dominance by expatriates and there's probably more trust or more democracy on that. With the Asian world, though, I see clearly that Chinese and Korean companies and Asian companies, they are so strict on their own processes and cultures, they don't really believe that Russians can cope with that, and Russians are not really capable to cope with that. It's so different. So they really have to put a lot of expatriates in Russia to try to build their culture in our market, which is very different from ours in a lot of ways. With the Western world, we are not so different, and I think it's easier. That's one point for me. Uh, so the second point with expatriates, clearly with the Western world, if you take my example, I'm responsible for lots of European projects when I need to get together, like yesterday, I made a call for Perm community. There was 120 consultants on this call from Portugal, from France, from Italy, from everywhere, from Poland, which I had to lead on sort of crowdsourcing way when you don't need to be uh, sitting in any countries because you don't really know in our days which country you manage. You manage the community of all sort of different nationalities. So I think the leadership role in terms of the regional responsibility shifting and uh, we be becoming more and more like a, um, world managers able to get as many cultures and respect them as possible and at least though like of course hungarians are very different from poland and french are very different from italian but we are all very much similar at the end with the same values and the, the same beliefs and the same principles and that's very possible, I think. And it doesn't matter if you're Russian or Italian or French, we all talk the same language. So I think from this point of view, the role of expatriates should be changing, generally, the whole concept, because it's getting much more 
community leadership rather than, you know, like certain one country leadership. That's my view on that. That's a very, very good answer, uh, Katja, and one I've not heard before. And uh, I made my own notes. I think the community leadership and world manager were very, very, uh, you know, strong and good, precise phrases. Very good. Because you're right, you know, it was shifting before, but not with the dynamic you've talked about. It was more, we don't need John in Moscow because it's cheaper to have Ivan and he knows the language and culture, etc. But no, it's a, a big shifting dynamic along with the work from home one. That's great. Thank you. Katya, I'm very happy with uh, all the topics we've talked about and your responses. But is there anything you we've left out or you would like to elaborate on more or, or anything? Uh, probably, yes. I don't remember about that right now. <laughs> Not such a burning points uh, on this conversation. Right, Katya, no problem. But I would just repeat, you know, because you we started with Central Europe, uh, your responsibilities there, and then you were talking at the end in the very last answer about, you know, the the similarities and the divergences, of course. Um, Central Europe, by the way, just to share with you, as you well know, is, uh, you know, quite a hybrid region. You know, is it emerging market? <clears throat> the answer is, well, yes and, and well, no. <laughs> You know, is Prague an emerging market? Uh, yeah, those kind of questions. I would finish. Oh, I would finish. I have something left over um, while I was talking there. Quality of people. I said I would ask this, but I didn't bring it in. The the cliches are that, you know, Russian Central European staff were, were 10, 15 years ago, fantastic. Uh, discipline, hardworking, ability, education. That had trended down a little bit, marginally, um, but that they were still good. And just to share with you, I'm, I'm loading the question in one direction, but I'd like to see where you are on the spectrum. As you know, we've had 10, 20, 50 executives tell me in the last three months, the quality of our Russian people, you know, really showed out in 2020. Difficult period, challenges, <clears throat> how they adapted their responses and famously crisis management, etc. Would would you endorse that totally, or do you have nuances? I would probably look at that from the different angle. Uh, as working a lot with Eastern European and also with my stretch roles, I work a lot lot with Western Europeans. I would say in general, especially like taking Germany, it's also my country for recruitment process outsourcing. I would say it's not because of quality or, or knowledge or no, we, Eastern Europe is not better. What's Eastern Europe is better? It's a passion. We are more heroic. You know, if uh, the trouble comes, we put our life to sacrifice, you know, to help for the company, for our families. And uh, the Western world and some countries, they're more like trending for work-life balance for a number of reasons. The taxes are there, higher and things like this, and why to work so much more if I pay so much taxes already and things like this. But um, I think the passion, the heroism is actually made Eastern Europe more resilient during uh, the crisis compared to Western Europe. 
the ability to survive, the ability to go through all the wars, you know, and, uh, you know, changing from socialistic to capitalistic. So I think that's, uh, that's probably still is, and that's uh, the benefit, clearly. But once you work with the Western European colleagues and they understand the value and the commitment and the mission, they're also quite happy to give more to the team on the table. But you need more time to convince them to do that. Thank you. Katya, talking about the uh, heroism, commitment and resilience of the Central Europeans and Russians is a brilliant way to finish off. And you know I would uh, concur with that, of course. Um, I think I was saying the same thing before in a different way, but you put it in a more uh, a different emotional angle, which is very, very positive. And I think that's also a great way for us to finish today on a, on a highly positive note. Thanks for, I think you've reinforced what I was thinking about the business trends. I knew what was going on, obviously, with HR trends, but you've underlined it and made it more forceful about, you know, the demand for people. Uh, that's been made clear for me. And I think a lot of your remarks are going to be very uh, insightful for people who do know the market in HR. And of course, many listeners who are general management who need more of an insight and fresh look at it. So thanks a million for that, Katya. Thank you. It was a very interesting interview. <laughs>